which encourage corporate sponsors to pull out. I mean, corporate sponsors are so woke about everything else, they can't be woke on China because there's too much money to be made. It's really unfortunate. It is the week of August 9th, and welcome to episode 92 of Fault Lines, the National Security Institute's podcast that explores the disagreements between the political left and right on issues of national security and foreign policy. Today we have Lauren Dealey Mahler, NSI Visiting Fellow and President of Dealey Mahler Strategies, Jamil Jaffer, NSI Founder and Executive Director, and former Chief Counsel and Senior Advisor to the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, Rob Walker, NSI Visiting Fellow and Executive Director of the Homeland Security Ex- Experts Group, and myself, Lester Munson, a senior fellow at NSI and the former staff director of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. It's August 2021, and we're going to take a break from some of our usual topics and talk about sports and international relations, specifically the 2021 Olympic Games, which just concluded in Japan a day or two ago. There's always been conversation about how international politics affects the Olympics and vice versa. In 1980, Jimmy Carter pulled the U.S. out of the games in Moscow because the Soviet Union had invaded Afghanistan the year prior. The Soviets responded by not coming to Los Angeles for the games in 1984. For the games this year, which were already delayed by 12 months, there were no fans at all in the stands because of the COVID pandemic. It was a very strange situation for the Olympic Games. Somehow, the, U- the United States won the most gold, the most silver, and the most bronze medals. Uh, good for America. So, Jamil, should we be linking international sporting events like the Olympics with global politics? Some folks are already calling uh, for the United States to boycott the Winter Games next year in China because of China's gross human rights abuses in Xinjiang and Hong Kong. You think that's a good idea or what? Yeah, look, I think there's no doubt that the uh, Olympics take place in a political environment, uh, an international global setting, and that politics are inherently a part of that discussion and that debate. We already saw athletes themselves expressing their political views and their their sort of views on various issues of import. We saw a at least one athlete who was concerned about getting political uh, asylum. We saw a number of these discussions. And so I don't think there's, and of course, the Russians with their weird, uh, you know, weird situation um, and how they, uh, they participated in the games and all the stuff that Vladimir Putin and his spokespeople said about that. So I think there's no question that as they always have, the games take place in a setting of politics and an international uh, environment. We should, we should absolutely make it part of that. And, um, and with the world watching, uh, express our points of view about how other people are behaving and people should feel free to do the same about about us. And so when it comes to the Beijing games, I actually do think uh, that we should boycott the Beijing games and make a point. I realize that is an unpopular sentiment. I realize that even members of Congress who previously had called for that are now sort of backed off of that and are now saying, well, you know, we shouldn't punish the athletes for it. We should compete, but maybe we don't send a diplomatic delegation, right? Maybe we make some other political points. I actually think that that being clear that us going to a country that is authoritarian and treats its people the way it does, whether we're talking about the plight of the Uyghur Muslims, right? Over a million interned in, in what amount to modern day gulags, right? Um, or the way they treat other uh, religious minorities, Christians, Buddhists, you know, how they treat ethnic non-Han Chinese, never mentioned their, their treatment of democracy activists in Hong Kong. We should call that out. And America has a moral responsibility to do something about it. And frankly, at a time when other sporting parts of America, the NBA in, in sort of the worst example, right? Is kowtowing to the Chinese. The American government, our, our, our Olympic committee, should make the point about this and, and boycott the games. But I realize we're not going to do that. 
And so I do think that other type of boycotts, like diplomatic boycott and the like, maybe wearing an armband to express our concern about the plight of the Uyghurs are things that we can and should do. And, and we, should encourage, uh, we should encourage corporate sponsors to pull out. I mean, corporate sponsors are, are, are so woke about everything else. They can't be woke on China because if there's too much money to be made. It's really unfortunate. All right. So let me let me push you on this, Jamil and Rob and Lauren, if you guys want to weigh in here, I think it'd be most welcome, because I think there's a great counterfactual here, which is the Olympic Committee back in 1936 made made arguably a huge mistake by going along with Hitler and having the Olympic Games in Berlin that year. But then something amazing happened when the games actually occurred. And Jesse Owens goes out and one man puts the lie to the whole Nazi ideological construct and humiliates the home team and Nazi Germany globally. So it seems to me that I see the logic of wanting to pull out next year. What we really ought to be doing is encouraging our athletes to go there and defeat the Chinese and show that their system is terrible, that authoritarian is not the way to go, that things going on in Xinjiang and Hong Kong are wrong. And our athletes can bring that up when they're there on the medal stand or talking to the media or when they're doing anything in the public eye. It's a huge opportunity for us to show our values and our interests. What, so what, what do you think of that approach? And Rob and Lauren, I'd love for you to weigh in too. Yeah, you know, from my perspective, uh, Les, I, I think that's great. If we're going to do it, let's do it. But I don't see any, I mean, there's no Jesse Owens on the American Olympic team uh, equivalent as it was to Hitler. If you had a Uyghur Muslim, right, who had, who had come to the United States and was competing for the United States, I don't believe, I could be wrong, but I don't believe we have a Uyghur Muslim who's, who's likely to medal in uh, competing at all for the U.S. team or likely to medal. But if there was, hey, Let's do it. That would put a lie to it. But there's no Jesse Owens as far as I'm aware. On top of that, I have seen nothing to suggest that the U.S., either politically or our Olympic committee, is going to do that out there. Now, if we have some athletes that are, that are, that are, that are likely to do that and will do it, then hallelujah. I think as a country, we should do that. I think as an Olympic committee, we should do that. So we'll see. Uh, but that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see that actually happen uh, for real. So, you know, let's see how it plays out. Rob, Lauren? Yeah, I, I'll just add real quick to, to pretend like politics in the Olympics are something new uh, absolutely betrays the history of the Olympics going back to ancient time. I mean, the whole point of the Olympic Games between Athens and, and its city-state counterparts was to prove who had the better athletes, who had the better, you know, uh, form of life and, and, were, and building up their warriors. And it's just, it's shocking, uh, you know, to, to think that we are suddenly coming into this and suddenly political, unless you, you gave you know, great examples of modern times. So I, I think we just need to set that aside and stop, you know, being shocked by the fact that we're talking about politics and, and international Olympic sport. I think, you know, Jamil's got a great point. We need to go there and prove, but how do we do that? How can we demonstrate that? And, you know, the Jesse Owens example is exact. I was going to mention it earlier, but, uh, you know, thank you for bringing it up. I, I don't know that we have the perfect correlation between 1934 and, and now, and that's tough to do. The medalists don't get that long to speak uh, when they're on the stand. And it's not going to carry and resonate within China because they're going to block it. Exactly, Lester. You're going to throw up the big X. <laughs> oh, I was talking about the media coverage. But you're right. There is there's a symbology that they could throw up on the on the stand uh, and, and demonstrate something. But the, the, I'm doing my Wakanda forever. Symbol. Wakanda forever. Yeah, yeah. I, I misinterpreted your your, uh, your your hand signals there. I thought you were saying China would block it, which indeed they will. Uh, so it, it's not going to resonate within the People's Republic of China. Lauren? Yeah, I think the, the idea that there's an exact correlation between 
the uh, Jesse Owens version of what happened to the games and the winter Olympics in 2022 um, is, is accurate. It's, it's not the same. You're not going to have the same type of situation or setup that occurs and that's fine. I don't think it's necessary to boycott because I think the Olympics have become about so much more than just who wins, who medals, who competes, who doesn't. There's so much surrounding it that provides opportunities to put forward American values and American ideals. And when we're there, we have an opportunity to do that in all these other settings. And if we're not there, the rest of the world says, oh yeah, the US isn't there. That's nice. Norway still won the gold. And then they keep watching for two weeks. And it's this great you know, coming together of countries around the world, like it or not, that's how it's viewed. And we're just not a part of it. So I think all we do is eliminate our voice from a place where we could actually have a pretty valuable voice um, in a very unique setting that only occurs every two or four years. So I think not going there really just robs us of an opportunity to put forward our values and our ideals in a setting that actually provides a global microphone for it. Well, look, I don't disagree that, you know, that going to the games gives us a global microphone. The real question is, do we have a global microphone anyways, right? We have plenty of ways of communicating our views to the world when the world is watching, right? We're just choosing not to use those microphones, right? We don't have the wherewithal. And frankly, our companies uh, are the real embarrassment. They're not even, not only they're not willing to use the global microphone uh, to call out China for what it's doing to its own people and what it's doing on democracy and freedom issues and religious liberty issues and to, to the Uyghurs from both a religious and ethnic perspective, our companies are actually going the opposite direction. Our public sports leagues that benefit from antitrust exemptions uh, and other legal exceptions in the law are, are going out of their way to suppress those voices because they make too much money in China. Our big corporations who we normally, you know, normally try to call to account on these things, on all manner of other issues, seem suspiciously silent on the question of China, if not going the opposite direction, asking their own people to back off and not saying things publicly, take, asking their employees to take stuff off of Twitter, right? So if we're going to go, Lauren, I'm with you, fine, use a gold microphone, but let's see us do it. Let's put pressure on companies. If we're going to go as a, as a nation, great. Let's have our, our sponsors pull out. Jamil, don't you think, I, I agree with you largely on the corporate question. And frankly, I think the whole Olympic movement uh, linkages to big corporations and promoting stuff is what, what makes the whole games kind of awful anyway. Like it's over-sponsored, it's over-hyped. There's a bunch of events no one really cares about. It's uh, It goes on way too long. I'm a pretty good sports fan and I never even watch most of the Olympics because it's just, it's not very good, frankly. But I'm so grumpy. I, I, I am a little grumpy when it comes to the Olympics. I thought it would come out later. It's coming out now. This is, this is who I am. I'm going to own this. But let's make the point, though, that while we're disappointed about the NBA and China, and I think the NBA should do a better job of advocating for human rights and democracy in China, think about Enos Cantor, the NBA player who comes from Turkey and has done an amazing job of challenging Erdogan and his uh, authoritarian ways and his human rights abuses. This one guy in the NBA has done more to undermine Erdogan's reputation abroad than anything any corporation could do or even any of our official public diplomacy efforts could do. So I think you know, letting our athletes go to Beijing and compete and give them their voice and let them speak. That's so much more powerful than even, you know, Tony Blinken saying something from the State Department or even Joe Biden saying something from the White House. If it's a genuine American hero, you know, who wins a gold medal and then says the right thing on the platform, that's that's the best earned media human rights could ever have. 
All right, so let's do it. Like, let's <laughs> see if those, let's get those athletes out there saying now they're going to talk about it. They're going to announce, let's, and let's see if China lets them do it. Let's see if that's censored. It, part of the problem is, as, as Rob Crowley points out, it's going to be censored in China. Where the messages gets across, it's great. The Europeans hear it. Americans hear it. Terrific. What about the Uyghurs? What about the people in China, right? Are we, do we have any active broadcasting efforts to get past that? Oh, no, that would be too hard for the, US, the poor U.S. government to do. It'd be too hard for those corporate sponsors to make a statement on every corporate sponsorship uh, they do to make a statement about the Uyghurs. That would be just too hard, right? And to your point last about Turkey, guess what? It's fine if, if, if a Turkish athlete in the NBA speaks out about Turkey. God forbid any American athlete, any NBA athlete speaks out about China because then they'll get shut down. It just takes one. It's Using one. the Olympics as your only opportunity to communicate with the Uyghurs, I think you've already got a problem. I think it's it's taking a very narrow view of the opportunities and the audiences to say you're either speaking directly to the Uyghurs, which they won't let you do. So what's the point? Americans in Europe are going to hear you. There's a lot more to the world than just America and Europe, and they're going to hear you too. Well, how's it going? I mean, how's, how's our effort to coalesce the world's population around the plight of the Uyghurs going? Because last time I checked, there's still a million plus of them in modern-day gulags right, in the Xinjiang province, right? They're there. We haven't done anything substantive. All the world community is always so worried about everything else, so worried about all this population around the world, nobody's actually willing to do anything about China. Nobody's willing to put any pressure. Nobody's willing to put economic sanctions on them. When, when the Trump administration did it, oh, everyone was all freaked out, right? What is the liberal American community doing about it, Lauren? Tell me, because I don't see it. Here we are. The Biden administration has been in place, what? It's been nine, eight months. How's it going? Well, I think the uh, plight of one million plus Uyghurs has not probably improved in the last eight months. But I think that the question of whether or not our athletes should be allowed to participate in the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing is solidly on the side of there is a microphone there. There is an opportunity there. If our athletes choose to take it, if corporate sponsors choose to take it, absolutely, there's room there for them to make progress and make statements and come down on the right side of that issue and that human rights issue and I think you're right. I think those different groups that surround those games and, and come at it from all those different angles have opportunities to come together and let the strength of their voices be heard on that particular issue. But I think saying that you're going to boycott the Olympics because public diplomacy hasn't freed the Uyghurs right now is, uh, is kind of a jump. It's kind of a stretch. I support you in that if if we're only waiting for the next Winter Olympiad to come around to spark these conversations, we're absolutely wrong. Uh, we need to begin that drumbeat now, and it should be ongoing. But it takes the constant rhythm of these conversations to get through to them, plus it takes then the amplification of a major global global platform and event like the Olympics. So I think, that, you know, you're, while you two are debating the difference between you know, where are we now and, and what can we do in the future? But the answer is it's got to be both. So, you know, Jamil, yes, the, the, the companies and the athletes should be speaking up now and perhaps they should go. And when they get that opportunity on the stage, when they win all of the golds and all the silvers and, and maybe a bronze or two, then they should be speaking up and using the global platform. I think maybe my main point is less about the U.S. not going. It's about getting the IOC to pull the games from Beijing. Right? The IOC should not be holding these games in Beijing, given how the Chinese are behaving. If the U.S. were to pull out and a couple of other nations were to follow, all of a sudden the IOC would have dramatically more pressure on them to pull the games from Beijing. That's not in the cards today because the U.S. won't even threaten it. Right? That's part of the point. These games should never have been held in Beijing. They shouldn't be being held in Beijing now. 
right? And the U.S. should that that's the purpose. The is not we don't show up. The purpose is get the games out of Beijing. The reality is the International Olympic Committee has been a bunch of bootlickers for its entire existence. They wouldn't pull out of Berlin. They wouldn't pull out of Moscow. Not a pull out of Beijing. It's not something they're ever going to do. They're they're morally bankrupt. There's no doubt. But given that, what's what's the best approach for us? You know, we, we talked about the difference one person can make. Rosa Parks made a huge difference when she wouldn't go to the back of the bus. But that wasn't just you know off the top of her head. There was a whole lot of preparation that went into that. A lot of groups worked on it. They worked with her. They were looking for someone who was willing to be the example and to and to challenge the the oppressive system. Uh, and she was finally the person who broke through. But it wasn't just because she felt like it. There was there was a movement behind her. There was there was organization. There were folks who were working on this. There's no reason, you know, NSI can't be part of the movement to expose what's going on with the Uyghurs in the in the Beijing Olympics next year. I I agree 100 percent. And if we had had a president in the last three presidents without you willing to do that, and I will say for for what is worth for Donald Trump, they did finally do what Barack Obama didn't do. What Joe Biden only came around to sort of late, uh, called it a, a cultural genocide. Right. I will give the Trump administration credit for that. But at the end of the day, no American president in, since this thing has begun has been prepared to call the Chinese out and hold them to account for this or to pressure our allies to do the same. Right. And until we get to the point where we're willing to do that, pressure our companies, pressure our allies and ourselves, do what it takes and, and, and bear the costs it won't be cheap. It won't be free. It will make goods more expensive in the United States, and it may cause inflation. Okay, Until we're prepared to do that, to stand by our morals and our views of the world, and to, and to lead the American people to accept those trade-offs, which we've had now coming on 16, but 12 years of presidents who haven't been willing to lead the American people when it comes to moral issues like this, or frankly, national security issues of any sort. Right? That's the fundamental problem. Barack Obama talked a good game. Donald Trump had a lot of bluster. Neither of them actually wanted to lead the American people in an effective way in this area. All right, Rob, let's pivot a little bit and talk about what went on with the Russian athletes at the Olympics uh, this year. Uh, there, there have been scandals exposed systematically in the Russian uh, athletic program. They've been doping. They've been using steroids. They've been cheating for years. Uh, and they, they were penalized by not being allowed to compete as Russia. Instead, yeah. Russian athletes participated in the games under the banner of the Russian Olympic Committee or ROC. I confess whenever I yeah. saw that, I thought it was Republic of China or it was the Taiwan team. But in fact, it was Russian athletes. What what do you think of this compromise and what it says about kind of the moral stature of the of the Olympic of the International Olympic Committee? Well, Les, I, I can't believe you went to the Republic of China when you saw ROC, given the moral stature of the Olympic Committee. <laughs> Fair point. Fair point. I appreciate it. I think it's a good start. I, I think it's a drop in the bucket, though. Uh, you know, it's a big bucket. You know, the, some of these athletes competed hard and trained hard and adhered to the rules. Uh, clearly, there was a uh, systematic problem that was exposed, and I'm glad the Olympic Committee called them out for that. And I hope that continues, and I hope they find other systemic issues across other countries. I mean, we all know that Rocky won because he beat up a side of meat and trained in the snow versus uh, Drago, you know, running in the computer rooms and stuff. Uh, So yay, America, boo, boo, Soviet Union. Um, But uh, I think it's a great start. And it it gives credit to those athletes who were presumably doing the right thing and they still got to compete on that stage. And I I applaud them for that. Much like the, you know, the refugee team that competed um, a few years back. And forgive me, was it, was it, uh, 
uh, was it Brazil or another that uh, where they had the refugee flag go forward. So good on the committee for letting those athletes who play by the rules continue and for snubbing those who uh, those systems that don't do that. Lauren, uh, I wonder what you think of this this other episode involving Belarus. Uh, there's a, a, a runner, a sprinter named Kristina Timanovskaya, uh, who trained for for longer events. Her team told her to compete in in shorter events and shorter track events. She refused, and then they they were going to send her home. They drove her to the airport. They were going to send her back to to Minsk, where she was likely to be put in a mental asylum or, or suffer some sort of horrible fate. Instead, Poland offered her humanitarian asylum. What is the story? And there've been other episodes like this, but what does this tell us about how the Olympics can be a venue for this conversation about human rights and democracy and, and these kinds of uh, important values we have? I think the Olympics provide us such a unique opportunity to take all of these these issues, the kinds of things we talk about on here every week and politicians talk about and advocates talk about in, you know, speeches and papers and articles all the time. And they put a face on it. They put a face on it in a way that nothing else that really happens on the global stage does. And it, I'm just fascinated by the, just the the pure success and the the brilliance of the communication that goes on around something like that. Like when you, when you take an issue like human rights and authoritarian regimes cracking down on protesters, you know, you use all the same words over and over all the time and you can just replace the countries. And when you look at this and you see the face of a runner of someone that the entire world has been watching compete against their own athletes here and there, but there's a, there's a sense of, of, camaraderie and ownership over the Olympic games and the athletes who compete there. Like we know them, you know, look at, look at the U S gymnastics team or the track and field team or the swimmers or, or any of these events, you know, heck we all like know the name of somebody who competes in, you know, handball once every four years, because like, like Les was saying, we don't particularly watch a lot of that on TV. Otherwise. Hey, I watch the handball. Okay. For the most of the rest of us, this is a time of year where you just really get to dig into the heart of humanity and all these great, wonderful things. And I mean, I'll admit I'm particularly susceptible to all of that. I love it. I watch everything. For, I'm still watching stuff I've recorded from the last two weeks because I want to. But I think when you take that feeling that you know is, is global around these athletes and what they mean to people. And you suddenly put that face on top of these issues that we're so accustomed to tuning out so regularly, then it really, it, it hits them home a lot harder. I think there's a lot of people who are a lot more aware of what's going on in Belarus now than there were before. Does that mean everybody knows about it? Is it, you know, common dinner time conversation? Probably not, but to have an athlete do something as simple as, express on social media that they're frustrated their coaches put them in an event they hadn't trained for. That seems so obvious. And then it turns into this whole thing where now you've got a spy novel unfolding where grandma's saying, don't come home, you're in danger and this and that. And you suddenly see all these other things that have happened and why. I think it's a it's a great opportunity to really convey the seriousness of the situation in a lot of these countries that we just don't have the other three years and 50 weeks. 
Yeah, I think this, I think, Lauren, I love what you said. Uh, well, except the part about wanting to watch all the events. I don't really agree with you on that. But I, I agree completely with you about how these individual stories can make such a huge difference more than any of the other stuff we talk about, any kind of the boilerplate or talking points that we come up with to talk about human rights and democracy when it's personalized, when there's someone people can identify with or that they feel some connection to. That's the thing that, that really makes a difference. And it really just takes one person saying one thing or giving the right, making the right gesture on the metal stand or objecting at the right time to something that's happening in Xinjiang or in Hong Kong or, or what have you that could really spin this around, particularly for China next year. In a way, they're taking a huge risk by inviting thousands of independent actors into their country, any one of whom could undermine the basis of their regime. So it seems to me you know, these are exactly the kind of reasons why we should be we should be going to sporting events like this, doing the best we can. But more importantly, letting people express themselves. We may not agree with every single thing they say, but the fact that our folks are able to go there and and speak openly and, and demonstrate what their values are, it, it is, does a wonderful job of undermining authoritarianism across the board, including, you know, when it occasionally pops up in our country. So. I, maybe I like the Olympics more than I realize. <laughs> We're going to convert you yet. Just wait. I think Lauren's Lauren. The point that Lauren made is exactly the is actually, is actually the best case for um, for uh, why we should you know go forward and and in, in Beijing, right? This idea that this one athlete, this one Belarusian athlete, you know, was able to sort of capture, I think, the hearts and minds of the of the American people and and the world and the global audience, right? And I think that's a really a really key uh, point. I do want to though talk about Rob's idea that somehow it's okay to let the the the, the quote unquote good Russian athletes still perform or, or still still compete um, under the ROC banner. To me, it makes a mockery of banning Russia from sport uh, because of their behavior. They didn't behave badly as individual athletes. They behaved badly corporately. It was the Russian entire operation that was infected with this doping uh, effort that went on over years and years and years. It wasn't a one-off violation. It was multiple violations over the course of a decade uh, that got them in this boat. And it strikes me as sort of, you know, silly uh, to allow, to not allow, to ban Russia, but then allow the ROC to compete, right? And have these, have, have, have you know, have Alex Ovechkin, uh, an American NHL player here in D.C., you know, with Team Putin, you know, broadcasting about this, right? And the and the hashtag, we will rock you, right? I mean, you know, and, and the uh, the spokesperson, you know, this whole negotiation about you can't have a bear um, on your uniform or in your thing. You can't have the word Russia in a song, but you can still play these this Tchaikovsky. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Everyone knows what's going on, right? And the Russians are right. Everyone knows who the ROC is competing for and what they're doing. And basically, it's Russia getting off scot-free with, with flouting international rules for a decade, right? Being banned and then being unbanned for this fake ROC thing. I find it laughable. It makes a mockery of the whole system. And I think we should not have allowed this to happen. And again, I think it just goes to the point about your point about the IOC, which is, you know, it, it's, it's, it's for a long time, it's been a, it's been a joke when it comes to uh, putting real pressure on. This is, this is, I mean, this is case in point. So I don't, I don't buy it, Rob. I just don't buy it. Rob, do you want to respond? I, I wish Jamil were passionate about something. There's <laughs> <laughs> hey, a problem, right? The problem, maybe the problem is that I'm passionate about all these things. And so then it sort of, everyone sort of like tunes out all the things. Cause like, Oh, he's always, like at that wolf, right? like, yeah, he's always at that there, speed. You just can't there is, listen. There is, 
there is kind of a baseline outrage going on in, in every single one of your responses, Jamil. So we need to find the, the variation. To be yeah. fair, I have a lot of frustration with the way, you know, 12 years of presidency have gone and the way the current two, the current year is going. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I don't see real American leadership of the kind that we've needed for a long time and haven't seen it for a while. Um, and maybe it's because I served the Bush administration, but I haven't seen the kind of leadership that George W. Bush showed, right? Um, since, you know, under President Obama, I haven't seen it under President Trump. And, I, and I'm not seeing it. I was hopeful to see it under President Biden, and I'm just not seeing it yet. Uh, again, I'm hoping to be proven wrong, but the behavior that we've done in Afghanistan, uh, the behavior we're showing in Iran, and what we're doing now with respect to China, I just, I don't see real leadership bringing the American people to an uncomfortable position where we really assert America's role in the world as a world leader, we tend to, we appear to be continuing to lead from behind. And that's unfortunate, in my view. I was going to say, I, I echo your frustration, Jamil. I would go further back to the New Deal when Congress started abdicating its role and responsibility as the legislative leader of our country, crossing, uh, passing broad laws that mean next to nothing and allowing regulators to then take over and, and put the executive branch in charge of everything. Why don't we take the point here, at least in part, that while we can find flaws in uh, recent administrations, we're putting, a, we're putting a lot on the chief executive. There are many other actors in our government and in the United States who can step up and be part of the answer here. Congress has a huge role in the making of foreign policy. Congress, you know, if they wanted to, could prohibit athletes from going to the games next year. You know, if Congress were so motivated, they could do something like that. Economic sanctions originate with Congress, her shoulders. So um, while I'm, I'm all for criticizing the, the president when uh, things, things don't go as well as they should, there's, there's other people who could be stepping up. And in this case, when we're, when we're talking about sports, it's really the athletes themselves. And as much as the IOC makes some terrible decisions, this is an opportunity opportunity for, for people who, who are real people, who live real lives, who can do extraordinary things in these weird sports to go and have a voice and express themselves and really make a difference. We shouldn't be putting this necessarily on Joe Biden. We're, we're no offense, Jamil. We're overloading him with responsibilities. Uh, I would I would rather him focus on economic freedom here, a relatively stable foreign policy, perhaps strengthening our military is something that we could do a better job of. But let's let the athletes go and let's have them raise their voices. This is their chance to make a big difference in the world. It's what Americans have done for 240 years. Let's keep it going. I think it's a little unfair to put, you know, global diplomacy on the shoulders of some 18 year old snowboarder. Exactly. Exactly right. You know what? I, I don't. I don't. No, I totally left, disagree. Left. I totally Come disagree. On. What else is the point of an eighteen-year-old snowboarder? <laughs> okay, West. this is coming from a guy who doesn't appreciate the value of the Olympics to the general human spirit around the world. Fair enough. I but, don't. I don't. Yeah. That is true. Take it from those of us who do. That's not fair. That's too much. I agree with Lauren one hundred percent. Less. This is ridiculous. Joe Biden was a U.S. senator for decades. He ran for the presidency. He wanted this job. I'm so... Yeah, but you want him to single-handedly control every message coming out of the Olympics. I think that's bananas. No, and he shouldn't... Nobody is saying he personally needs control of it. He's got a massive executive branch, as Rob points out, with this huge administrative state that we've developed since the, since the, uh, since the, since the uh, New Deal, right? He's got plenty of people that can speak on his behalf. It doesn't have to be him personally. And by the way, I agree with you. There is some responsibility on members of Congress, but 
they're inveterate too. They're they're useless. They are they're worried about their two year election cycles in the House, right? And they're becoming more and more polarized because of gerrymandering and you name it, and you know Trump and blah blah blah, whatever you want. Whoever you want to blame for it, right? They're all jokes. Let's not kid ourselves that they're going to step up. And this idea, by the way, Les, that somehow Congress is all about foreign policy and they can lead on foreign policy. Congress hasn't led on foreign policy in two hundred years. Give it a rest. We know it's the president's job. I get that they have a role to play. Could they do more? Of course. Should they do more? Of course. But are we really going to lay it their footsteps? Maybe. But we're definitely not going to – I definitely don't think we should put it at the hand – I mean, Lauren's exactly right. Why do you put this, on these, these athletes? Oh, it's their job to speak about international relations issues? If they want to, they should. We shouldn't put it on their on their. On it their just takes up. one. It just, it just takes one. It just takes one. And that voice is going to resonate so much more than anything the president says or even any member of Congress says. Right. That's going to that's that's going to be something that regular people can identify with. Let's give them the opportunity to do it. That's all I'm saying. They have the opportunity when they're there. The way, they have Robert, the opportunity. But the expectation Robert, that they will each do so is misguided. Agree. As much as the I'm expectation wait, Rob, that just, the only person who gets to speak is the president. And as much as the expectation that Congress can step up and use its unified voice on international relations. I think you're both just grumpy today, but I'm not sure any of these ideas fly it's this amazing ecosystem of actors and players coming together on a single global stage so somewhere in there it's not about one single voice stepping up yes there will be power if one athlete does that absolutely no question but at the same time the true value and the power comes from the collective it comes from having all these voices at all these different angles come together it's not on any one person or any one group's shoulders and we have to respect that and understand that and let that start becoming a thing now that grows organically. You can't force feed it on anyone. I agree with Lauren on that, but I think that we need to lead that effort, right? We can't just let it happen, right? When, when it came to, you know, South Africa, right? Who's when we? it came to, we, the United States, the, the leadership, the political leadership, the president of the United States and the people around him need to lead the American people, American corporations and Congress to these things, Right. When it came to South Africa, when it came to the threat of communism, when it came to the threat of Nazism, right? Americans led, and yes, we had a unified voice because we had somebody to bring us together around the unified voice. Jamil, the problem Jamil, is, Jamil, Jamil, it was Congress that passed sanctions on South Africa. The president vetoed them, and then Congress overrode the veto. So if you're going okay. to lay the South Bye. Africa example out as your first choice, that was actually Congress that did it. Great. Let's see Congress do it now on China. I would encourage that. I would embrace it. I love it. Let's do it. You know what the problem is? Nobody has the guts to do it. Everyone's a bunch of empty suits. They talk a big game and they don't bring it. Bring it, people. This is this is where we have to factor in the baseline outrage. Rob, did we glide past the fact that you're an anti-New Deal Democrat? Is that true? <laughs> I was actually wondering whether we were going to get to that because we're supposed to, it's supposed to be a, 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 you know, a two party thing. Right. And here we are oh. walking like, oh, no, I agree with, with Jamil and Les on non-delegation and the administrative state. I think it's more reflective deal. of the reality that these issues cross party lines. You don't all have to be, you know, crazy bushies. Crazy bushies. <laughs> What's crazier, the bushies or the people who think the bushies are crazy? Um, yeah. all right, let's let's uh, let's tie this one up in a bow. I think that was a fun conversation. Uh, good August session. 
Uh, and let's talk about, let's go around the horn. Everyone bring up the issue that they're tracking that's not necessarily on the front page these days. Jamil, I'm going to go to you first. All right, I'm tracking the Afghan withdrawal, less, which is close to complete. We're now upwards of 90% done. And as predicted on this show, on this, on this very podcast, it is getting worse and worse and worse by the minute, right? Uh, we are losing, we lost a provincial capital, the first provincial capital uh, last last week. We are seeing increasing human rights abuses. We And we have Jen Psaki from the podium saying, well, you know, it would be really great if the Taliban would just put their weapons down and return to the negotiating table and work out a political solution as if that were a thing, um, you know, magical thinking if there ever was any. Um, and the president doesn't seem prepared yet to admit the error of his ways and admit that the the precipitous withdrawal that he's architected personally um, is already been a huge failure and will continue to be a failure that will inevitably lead us back in Afghanistan sooner rather than later uh, when terrorists threaten our homeland and our people and our allies. So I am very worried about the situation in Afghanistan. And frankly, I'm also worried about the plight of the people that we have a moral responsibility to, these 20,000 interpreters um, and people who worked alongside our soldiers in the field um, I, I love that we've got 200 of them recently came to the United States last week. We saw them arrive in Fort Lee. That's awesome. There's still 19,800 plus still there in the country. We've talked about getting into another country or getting them away, right, while we're processing their visas. Uh, but the reality is those people are under threat. We have a moral responsibility. The president himself personally committed to it. I don't think another American troop should leave Afghanistan until every single one of those interpreters is on a plane and until are hot, at least that one hostage, I believe there may be more than one, uh, that are being held by Taliban-associated forces are returned to American custody. Not one American troop should leave the country going forward. Unfortunately, the president set a deadline less than a month out, and it doesn't seem like that's going to happen. And I'm very, very worried about the, plight of our, about, about the plight of our allies that helped us and about the plight of that American hostage who's there held under Taliban controlled by Taliban, Taliban allies. Lauren, what are you tracking? Um, I've got a couple. One... Uh, one Jamil touched on, um, as I raised several weeks ago on here, uh, for the first time, our interpreters and our friends who are still there, uh, thousands, you know, the house just moved in and expanded the special immigration visas. The administration's moved to expand the pathways to eligibility for folks. But at this point, it's just a race. Um, it's a race against the clock and this has been known for some time and it's incredibly frustrating, um, that it hasn't been acted on sooner and that it's moving faster. Um, whether folks thought they had more time or not, I don't know, but it needs to move. The other thing I'm tracking is is news out today that the military is going to require active duty service members to have the COVID vaccine by the middle of September, which I think is a fantastic move. I have no doubt there will be fallout and we will be hearing much more about it for quite some time, um, but I think it's the right choice. Rob, what's your issue? Yeah, looking at uh, developments in the U.S. government's look into Havana syndrome, and for those who don't know, it's... Uh, related to embassy personnel coming back from overseas assignments, specifically from Havana, where it was first noticed um, having hearing and, and um, mental issues, et cetera, uh, with little to no cause that's readily available. Uh, the great news is that it's been elevated up to the cabinet level now. Uh, Director Haynes, Secretary of State Lincoln, and others are all involved, and, and there's some movement that hopefully will lead to at least an acknowledgement of uh, the seriousness of the issue, the, the, the breadth of it, and maybe find uh, some point to some culprits that caused it. Uh, the other thing I'm following is the Homeland Security Enterprise Forum logo behind me in the crowd goes wild. Uh, want everybody to come out and be there. We're, we're going 200 strong still in person out at the Salamander Resort, uh, September 13th and 14th. 
please come out. If you can't join us in person, uh, come out online. Visit us at hsenterpriseforum.com to register. Thanks, Rob. All right. I am tracking uh, events in Haiti where after the, the assassination of President Moise a few weeks ago, uh, things continue, continue to spiral. Folks are using the investigation of the assassination as an opportunity for revenge, for repression. Armed gangs continue to dominate Port-au-Prince. The situation is really not getting any better. On top of all that, China is waiting in and looking to get Haiti to switch its diplomatic recognition from Taiwan to Beijing. Uh, so, you know, there's there's literally no issue that escapes uh, kind of the China lens these days. Haiti's a, a country on our doorstep. It's 11 million people. It is a, a place where we really should not be allowing this kind of instability to to continue. And I'm afraid the Biden administration is really not going to step up and take any dramatic actions to try to remedy the situation. So that's what I am following. Okay, that's a wrap. As always, Fault Lines is produced by the National Security Institute. Find out more about the Institute and upcoming events at nationalsecurity.gmu.edu. If you have any topics you'd like us to cover in the future, send us an email at nsi at gmu.edu or tweet us at masonmatsec. If you like what we are doing here, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that more people can find our show. We'd like to thank Claude Jennings for editing, Wyatt Shattuck for research assistance, and Haley Lernahan for production assistance. Join us next week for another provocative conversation and further analysis of national security's fault lines.